Thanks for tuning in. My name's Andre Servin, and you're listening to Off the Roost Podcast, brought to you by Off the Roost Custom Calls, turkey calls for the serious hunter. Join me and my co-host, Paul Murdahl, as we delve into the world of the wild turkey, covering everything from calling tips and tactics and hunting strategies to the latest equipment available, featuring interviews from special guests and custom call giveaways. We'll do our best to keep you up to date on this obsession we call turkey hunting. We appreciate you joining us. Now let's get on with the show. Hey there, folks. Welcome back. You're listening to the Off the Roost podcast, and this is episode seven. I'm here hanging out with my buddy, Paul, and uh, we're going to cover a, uh, a pretty cool episode uh, that we got going on. This one uh, was recorded a little bit earlier. We've been kind of sitting on it, and I've been kind of itching to get it out. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and kind of put it out now because I feel like it's a good time for it. But uh, before we get into that, uh, Paul, how are you doing? I am doing wonderful. The weather, awesome. the weather's cool for the middle of the winter. Oh yeah, it's kind of got me a little stressing out a little bit because they got me back to work for a little Mississippi, bit. Mississippi, man. I know they they might be intruding in on on my my startup time. Might be intruding in on possible Mississippi plans. Oh, I know. When you, when and you know what though? So it is kind of cool that the weather has been so warm for a Minnesota winter. Um, I still, like, haven't let my guard down entirely, but I'm beginning to let my guard down uh, with the fact that, like, is it going to get super cold again? Are we going to get hit with a ton of snow? We're probably going to get, like, a blizzard, you know, early April or something like that. But, hey, if we don't, man, that'll be great. What I do want to mention with this temps is I imagine that's got to be doing pretty good for the turkeys up here in Minnesota and Wisconsin, right? I would think they're doing I mean, real well. Oh, yeah. They're going to do to come opener. There's going to be some fat turkeys, man, because they've been chowing down they're gonna the be whole heavy. time. I think they'll be running heavy everywhere this year, I think, throughout the, state, throughout, okay. the throughout the country, I would think. Yeah, for sure. And I know... Although, What's the term? Although the, is it holdover? Is that the term? Yeah. Recruitment? Uh, I don't know. The, the term used for the ones that make it through the Yeah, river. yeah, holdover. Yeah. Holdover. Yeah. I think the holdover is going to be pretty good, man. Right. They're, some of these, uh, some of the pults, you know, the, the Jakes and Jennies, that maybe things would have been a little rough. I think they're going to be all right, you know? Right. The, the big question, I think, is whether or not, you know, with some of these mass failures in certain areas, you know, are they going to be able to find enough high, high energy, high carb foods where they can store the store enough fat up to get to get them through the spring? Well, I imagine in places uh, like the upper Midwest with all the agriculture we got, they might be all right. No, right. You know, up by the cabin or in some of the some of the bigger national forest areas that I that I hunt, I mm-hmm. think a, a lot of it is dependent on 
on the acorn crop. Yeah. You know, like that, a, or they know wherever there is one agricultural field and they're all just going to go right over right. there. But the thing I've is, seen that too. Did, did they, did they pound it out and eat, eat them out of food then? You know, every turkey in the counties there. <laughs> I could see that, man. And I think the saving grace for the turkeys would be some of the farmers that'll leave like some rows of corn up for deer. And then maybe they knock some of that down. Right. But, but, uh, suit, man. I mean, turkeys are pretty darn resilient. And I feel like they could go, they could go for a while before they have to eat, you know? Well, I mean, they'll be able to find food. It's just whether, you know, is it going to be food that's just sustaining them or is it going to be food where they are able to put on that layer of fat, you know? Because, I mean, yep. you start getting into spring breeding or whatever, the gobblers are starting to worry about breeding and they're not eating so much, so they got to have a good reserve. And then the hens, yep. they, they got to have their reserve because once they start, well, they got to have the good reserve because they got to start concentrating on getting protein so they can make their eggs and lay their eggs. And then while they're on their eggs, they got to have fat reserves that's going to keep them there incubating and stuff like that. And then when the poults hatch, yep. they got to have enough energy left over where they're not worried about feeding so much and they're keeping an eye out for predators and stuff like that. So, well, I don't want to give too much away, but, uh, you know, where I like to spend my spring in the Minnesota and, Compared to what, well, based off what we're discussing, I think that area is going to do pretty darn good this year, man. Because with all the uh, accessible food options in either, you know, the hardwoods or even the diverse landscape there and uh, agricultural fields, man, I mean, dude. But this area in particular in Minnesota has always been, for all game, just kind of a a good, diverse area, um, habitat-wise, you right. know? Right, right. Yep. And, <clears throat> and you, know, you know, when you start getting into the egg areas, you know, as far as winter foods, I'm not sure if they're dependent on the acorn crop so much, you know, because a lot of times around here, it's, it's going to be buried under snow. I think they'd yeah. be more willing to go out into the cornfield where the where the field's going to be wind swept and there's not going to be as much snow over the top. I think it'll be easier yep. digging for them and stuff like that. So, yep, for sure. Or or they find that one spot that the sun's been hitting and you know maybe it's melted away a little bit. Right. And they'll just tear that part up. You yeah. know. <clears throat> cool. Sounds good. So. Uh... So, I guess you got a little treat for us, right? Well, I got a treat, but we were supposed to have a um, cutoff going on here right now. Uh, I, All right. Remember what I understand? You're you're chickening out again. Is that what's going on here? Something like that. <laughs> but I do got some. I do got some news for you. You got some news for me. <clears throat> oh yeah. So you know, I got back in the gobbler shop whenever I could find the chance to get in there, but I was able to get back in there. <clears throat> I started experimenting with some calls and man, I got to tell you, I hit a combination that's like dynamite, dude. Right. As soon as I, as soon as I did it, I was like, Oh, this is, this is it. I, I'm sure you've seen back to the future, right? Sure. You know, that scene where, Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox is playing the guitar at the end, 
and the guy calls his cousin. What was it? Chuck or something? Chuck Berry? Yeah, Chuck or Berry something. Or whatever. And hey, he's man, all like, hey, Chuck, <laughs> you know that new sound you've been looking for? Right, right. Well, listen to this. Okay, so it was that moment for me, but with uh, with the uh, with the mouth calls, man. As soon as I did it, I was like, this is the sound I've been looking for, man. So it's good. I've been cutting on it, and it's good. And it this one isn't even like a bat wing, which is my preferred call. This one's uh, like another experimental cut, but it actually worked out. It's a kind of like a similar to a, a combo cut, similar to a combo cut, but uh, so I will be good to go for uh, our next little go around. I will be ready to go uh, at this point in time uh, over in my studio where I'm at. Wave, wave, uh, I got a wave to the people walking by. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a, I got kind of a, a shop full of people here, so uh, they would, uh, they they're going to be like, "What the heck is that?" <laughs> All right, All right, All right. All right. If it so, was a little bit later in the day, we're, we're, you know, they kind of they, they kind of leave this place, but yeah, it's pretty packed right now. We're going to give you another reprieve until next week. All right. I'm glad that uh, you sympathize that, that, with my, that's, with that's my two issue. Week, that's two weeks in a row now. It is. And uh, week one was uh, I just didn't have a good call. And week two was uh, I just can't be yakking away <laughs> on a call at the moment. But for week three, I will make sure I will get everything set up. So that I can do that. All right. All right. So, and uh, what I what I will do as a backup, I will get some recorded audio. If I find myself in this situation again, I will just give you my recorded audio. <laughs> I'll make a video. <laughs> well, you're, put, you're, you're asking me to put a lot of trust in you then. Well, that's why I would make a video to have that that evidence. Right. It won't be the hen at the park down the street right. or anything like that. All right. All right. <laughs> Let's get into this call giveaway, huh? All right. So what we got is we got two box calls here that I've made up. And I'm thinking they're sounding pretty good. I'm pretty happy with them, actually. And I That's right. I don't have anybody that I know that uses box calls. I gave one to Andre and he's probably played it maybe twice, probably. Well, I sent it back to you. Well, you I got it back now because I, I want to do a little touch up <clears> on it. It was, <throat> it was kind of rushed out. I, want, I wanted to get it to you before your trip to Wyoming. So I kind of rushed it out to you. But you are correct. Just me not being much of a box call guy. Um, I still, I suck on those things, man. You know, it's like the, 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 the box call is a, uh, deceitfully easy and what i mean by that is anybody could just you know you know turn the lid on that thing and, and get a sound out of it get some yelps but to get good on the box call it takes practice that's, that's not so it takes practice it takes practice, it takes to, practice. Get the, to get the stroke down yep <clears throat> so what i what, what, what i'm planning on doing is i want to get these calls into people's hands so i'm just i'm going to I'm going to give you the option. There's going to be two calls, so an all walnut call, and we've got mm -hmm. 
we've got pictures of the, of them on TikTok and and um, Instagram. Right? No, no, not yet. No, we haven't. We haven't put that out. I've been waiting for uh, for right. this moment so, here to put that out. Yeah. Right. So then we'll get some pictures up for you and. We'll let you see the calls and stuff, and then we're going to play them here a little bit for you. But I want to get some of these calls out there, and I want to try to get some feedback on them. Because, like I said, Andre's probably the only guy I know that turkey hunts, and he doesn't use a box call. So so we've got the all-walnut, and then we got the the um, walnut over catalpa. So the, the lid and the base are walnut, and the body of the call is made out of catalpa wood. So if you're not familiar with what catalpa wood is... That would be the big, the trees with the big long beans that grow from them. They got big long beans and they got big white flowers in the spring. So that would be a catalpa tree. It's a really solid. Okay. So this is the catalpa I'm going to play here for you first. And I'm just going to do some yelps to start off with real, real nice and quiet. I'll turn it away from the mic here. I guess that's not so quiet, but so you get some decent yelps out of it. Get some decent clucks out of it. And the other side sounds just as good. Let me turn here. Then we got some purrs. This one does a fairly decent gobble, but the walnut I think is better. Elbow hit in my chair. And then you got some cutting. How's that sound on your end? Sounds great, man. They sound real nice. Good. All right, so then we got the walnut here. And the catalpa, it seems to run a little bit higher. It's got a lot of rasp in it, and the rasp seems to be in the higher end, the higher range. And then um, the walnut seems to be a little, a little mellower. It's sharp and crisp. It's it, the rasp is in the lower, deeper notes. You hear that? All right. Yeah, it sounds great, man. All right. So then we got the other side. A lot it's a little bit higher than than the right side the left side's a little bit higher i tuned it a little yep, bit that that's way. what I i'm hearing wanted the um the old hen young hen kind of deal this one will hear okay. and actually both it will give you a pretty decent jake gobbler yelp that's the walnut 
And here's the gobbler yelp on the um, on the catalpa. I think they both sound sound pretty good. And then we got some purring on the old walnut. And then we got some cutting. And if you notice the the walnut the cuts pop a little bit more. Pop, pop, pop. Where, yep. where the, <clears throat> yep. the catalpa's a little scratchier. It's got it's got a little yep. more rasp in it. And then the go the gobble on the on the walnut. I think the gobble on the walnut's probably twice as good as the gobble on the on the catalpa. Yep. Right. You know, walnut, walnut's actually my preferred wood when it comes to a striker. Sure. You know, sometimes when you get a striker, it'll come with like, I think hickory and walnut. The hickory I feel is better for softer tones and stuff, but you know, on a, a glass call, man, I grab that walnut. Right. You know? well, see, if, I, if I'm understanding this correctly, hickory is probably a much harder wood than the walnut. Okay. So it's not grabbing the call as much as the walnut would yeah the walnut maybe has a slight flex to it that right. allows for that friction a little, you know a little flex but i think maybe the tip is probably softer so it's able to able to grab the the grooves and whatever mm -hmm. pot collar you're using yeah yeah so i mean i bet and i don't know anything about this stuff but would a hickory box call just not be good well, what you do, I, I think it's they'd use, you know, like a hickory for the base and the lid, and then they'd use a softer wood on the body. Like Does a that, walnut? That's, well, see, the, the, the all walnut that I'm using here, generally, guys, from what I hear, they say it's probably one of the more, more difficult calls to tune just because of the fact is the wood is the same density. So yes. They don't want to grab each other as readily. So it's 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 a little more difficult to tune and get a decent sound at. And I mean, and when you look at the rails, the sound rails or the um, the soundboards on both these calls, the catalpa is probably running about twice as thick as the walnut because it, it that's how much more the paddle grabs and it starts the vibration off a lot sooner than. I got to get it so thin to allow the wood to vibrate when I'm running the wood. So now if I had a softer lid, if I had a catalpa wood on this, the rails might be a little thicker. I don't know. I haven't tried that yet. Just because of the fact okay. that catalpa will be, you either got to go with soft, <clears throat> and soft lid or hard lid and soft body or soft lid and hard body is generally, generally what they do. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Okay, cool. So, uh, Give us some details, man. So how's this giveaway going to work? What's the thing? How's this giveaway going to work? So what we're going to do here next week is we're going to ask a question about something we talked about on the podcast here, or we're going to talk about on the podcast. And in order to 
enter into the contest, you just have to email us the answer to the question. And that email is off the roost podcast at gmail.com. Right. Right. So, so next week we're going to ask a question about something pertaining that we covered on the podcast. And then if you want to enter the contest, you'll have to listen to the podcast. If you haven't already all the podcasts and figure out the answer to the question and just email us the answer to the question and you'll be entered into the um, into the drawing. And then when we get your entry, your correct entry, we'll send a number back starting one, two, three. And then on the March, would be March 6th, we'll announce the winner. And what we'll do is we'll do a, a Google num number generator with all the entries that we have. And the, the entry that number that matches the Google new number generator will be the winner and then they'll have a they'll have the chance or the choice to pick between one of the two calls they can either have the walnut or the catalpa and you know one thing I want to mention again for, for for those listening is like these are some handmade calls these are some custom one-off handmade calls they're they're not it's not a mass production thing these are all box calls that you know, taking Paul some time to make these yeah, calls. So, like um, I said, you know, they're nice. I, this this Catalpa call I've been working on since actually last year, and I finally got it. I finally got it. You know, I've been taking my time because I didn't want to wreck it. It had a good sound, so I just been taking little bits at a time here and there, and I finally got it to yeah. a, to a good spot where I'm happy with it. So, and uh, if anybody hears any sort of shuffling around. Uh, I had to uh, plug my phone in because it was going to die and I didn't want it to die while we're recording. No problem. Cool. Sounds good. Um, so I guess now let's go ahead and. Uh, yeah, I think you that, know, do a little intro that covers for, everything uh, as far as the giveaway, I would think. Yeah. So um, we have on uh, another another Pennsylvania guy. Right. right, something about PA, man. Uh, we have uh, we're gonna have Chad Claycomb on this episode. Uh, it's a great episode. Uh, super happy to have Chad on. And uh, you know, this I would say for the most part is kind of a in general kind of turkey conversation. I don't think there's really any sort of uh, anything in particular, uh, any certain topic. This is us just kind yeah. of. I think, hanging out with Chad and talking about turkeys. Right. I think about the only thing we, we really get into, you know, topic specific would be, uh, I think we get into the calling a little bit and, and then, yep. and then how he generally sets up, I think. Yeah. Into that. Yep. We did dive into a little bit of a setup discussion with Chad and uh, a little bit kind of, you know, from what you guys see in the videos, you know, kind of asking him some questions about, you know, his, his routine, you know, like we asked him about, you know, roosting birds. Cause most of the time you kind of see him out there uh, first thing in the morning, trying to locate a bird, you know? So, uh, um, yeah, we just kind of, kind of kept it kind of general, but it's, uh, it's been great. And you know what, he's been putting out some, uh, pretty good Western videos, uh, 
as of as of now from from the previous spring he's been uploading some awesome western hunts if you guys haven't seen them and you're interested i would definitely uh youtube uh clayton outdoors right and i'm i gotta say this um actually the first video that i've ever watched of somebody turkey hunting would have been chad's videos getting ready for the interview this interview we did with him and um I I like those videos. They were good. I even I even found myself on a couple of occasions trying to coach him through my screen. No, don't call now. <laughs> don't call now. Call now. Stuff like that. Yeah. So he had a, he had an experience with a with a young lady. They had some some yeah. jakes and a gobbler around them, and it was pretty intense. And I was I was trying to coach him through the screen. You know, his videos are like very high quality. And especially when you consider that this is all self-filming. He doesn't have a crew. This is him carrying around a camera, the mics and all that. The the production on these videos is very well done. Right. So. And like, cool, man. Like, so Like you say, and he, show, he shows it all. It's, it's not. He does. You know, Here, I got That's this gobbler my... and cuts yep. out half a day of footage or whatever just to get the get the kill he shows it all a hundred percent and that's one of the reasons why i like chad's videos is i feel like uh it's like just real deal turkey hunting man for like the mo most relatable to like the average guy that's getting out there you know he's not like you said he's not editing three, four, five days worth of hunting into 20 minutes, putting that out, and all you're getting is a kill shot. If he goes out there and he got close, maybe he bumped a bird, that's what you're going to see that, you know? And then maybe at the end of the week or whatever, once he finally gets that bird down, you're going to see that too. But, um, yeah, man, just good stuff, good stuff. Yep. So I guess with that said, man, uh, you want to go ahead and dive in it? You got anything else you want to cover? I'm good. All right. So here we are, uh, episode seven with Chad Claycomb. Me and Paul, we're here with uh, Chad Claycomb from uh, Claycomb Outdoors. Um, I'm sure most of you uh, know about him or have seen his YouTube channel. If you haven't, that's uh, Claycomb Outdoors, correct? Yes, sir. Awesome. Uh Chad's uh Chad's an awesome dude. He's his videos are real great. They're it's really uh authentic turkey hunting. He um not only has his YouTube channel, he does also uh have some DVDs and that's on your website, correct? They're still available. Well, that's a long story to Andre. I uh <laughs> used to have them on there, but I lost that website here about I guess it's probably going on two years ago now. It's a long story, but I had my uh, identity stolen. Oh, no. And uh, anyways, yeah, I lost the website. And to be honest, I don't know if I'm going to get it back on there now. Uh, they tried talking me into to buying a different domain name, but I just wasn't having it. I was so ticked off that I, yeah. I just said that with it because I'm not really selling too many DVDs anymore. I'm posting everything on youtube now so yes i really don't know that it's worth all the headache to be honest yeah well i i um i binged watched your videos here for the last week so 
Well, I appreciate it. I hope you like <laughs> um, I'm not much of a watching people hunt online, but I figured since you were going to be gracious enough to come on and be a guest, I better enlighten myself a little bit about what you're about. Well, I appreciate it. I, I give it a thumbs up, too. No, thank you. So are uh, videos, uh, the DVDs, is that still an option? Can somebody like message you for that it, or you're not making those anymore? If anybody would be interested any in one, you know, they could just DM me or get a hold of me on Facebook or something and I could get them out what they want. Cool. Yeah, I'm a big fan of them, man. They're so I got a routine that I do every winter gearing up for turkey season. And it pretty much starts with watching all the turkey stuff that I have, and the Fired Up series is included in it. It's fantastic, man, because there's sections of hen talk, flock talk, all of that stuff, and it's like all high-quality video and great hunting. So, I mean, I definitely recommend people to go ahead and check it out. The YouTube videos, all of that stuff is awesome. It's all super accessible. But in my opinion, I feel like the the DVDs are kind of some hidden gems. So uh, I'm going to plug. That means a lot to me because I put a lot of time into those things. And that was back in the day when I was still doing those. You know, I put a lot of effort into those. And I I really I really wanted to show that's that's where it all started for me as far as, you know, just showing how hunting especially turkey hunting really is you know like showing all the ups and downs i didn't want to just show a turkey being killed every three minutes and just keep flowing through the video like that i wanted to show the struggles and what what went into a real turkey season yeah and i, I had a lot of turkey talk on those and i i think that's what a lot of people enjoyed the yeah. hen talk especially yeah i know i sent you a message because um on one of your videos, there is, and I was trying to find it. I couldn't remember where. I knew it was in one of your videos, and it was a hen doing a whine. Um, and I know for at least for me, that was my first time hearing a hen doing a whine. And that's because I feel like that's something that, like, the average guy, even while turkey hunting, is probably not going to hear a hen whine. You know, that they might not get that close to a hen. Uh, I know there's some guys, they just completely ignore a hen. Me and Paul, I, we like to, we're both kind of callers. Uh, we do like to kind of maybe get back and forth with the hen a little bit and just hear that audio. But uh, I'll do it because I'm hoping to drag a gobbler in with her. Yeah. And I've had that happen myself too, where I get into it with a hen and then I've had a tom fire off that was completely not talking. But now he's talking because I've got into it with that hen. But yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of those videos, man. Lots of good stuff in those. I appreciate it. Well, uh, Chad, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit of, you know, where you're from and uh, some of the states that you like hunting. Okay. Well, I'm, uh, I'm from Southwest Pennsylvania, which I guess you could, you would consider the uh, Allegheny plateau of the Appalachian mountains. I grew up here all my life and uh, just enjoy hunting the mountains, you know, and, it, it wasn't always that way. I mean, I, I cut my teeth, started, started out hunting public land up in the mountains, but then I guess once I was old enough, I got a driver's license and kind of got out on my own a little bit more. I started knocking on doors and hunting some private, but here in the last maybe 10 years, I've kind of come full circle and kind of went back to my roots, I guess you could say, and 
pretty much hunt exclusively in the mountains now and i just absolutely love it yeah i mean so you you've made the change from from public to private back to public again yeah can you can you take any comparisons between hunting gobblers on the private land and compare it to what you're going through on on public land well i would just say it's uh you got a lot you got to put a lot more work and effort into finding the birds first off you know before you even start hunting them i'd say that's the biggest difference between the two i mean once you get into birds though it's for the most part you know it's turkeys are turkeys turkeys are turkeys right right you got to deal with a lot more issues with you know other hunters on public land but for the most part the birds i would say are the they're they're turkeys are you doing stuff to distance yourself from say the crowd most most of the time i do i try to I try to get away from roads as much as I can and yeah, get away from people that way. But you know, that's not always the case. I mean, I've, I found myself the last few years, especially finding more turkeys closer to the road and just being more efficient that way. But it's, it's just a blast hunting up in the mountains because, you know, there's just so much room to roam and I just love the adventure of it and the challenge of getting out there. And like I said, they're, it's like a needle in a haystack trying to find them sometimes. And, and that challenge is what, you know, excites me a lot about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you hunt Pennsylvania. And then what are the other states you, I've noticed you kind of have a little bit of a loop that you do. Yeah, I mainly, normally every year I try to hit PA, Ohio and West Virginia. And, you know, depending on whether I have time off of work or not, I may take a trip or two, but. Yeah, I normally, you know, unfortunately, I got to be at work every night, so I got to stay fairly close to home. But I, I can hunt every day if, you know, as long as I don't have anything going on, I can, I can get out and chase turkeys just about every day. So I just try to get out as much as I can here close to home. And yeah, PA, Ohio, and West Virginia. And all those states, I think they have like a 1 p.m. cutoff, right? Or 1230? Uh, PA is 12 o'clock the first half of the season. I think Ohio is the same way now. Same, yeah, same Ohio and West Virginia. Is, uh, I think you can shoot up until 1 o'clock in, in both of those states. But PA is 12 o'clock cutoff. Mm-hmm. In the last two weeks of the season, it's all day. Okay. And that's just for PA, right? trying to remember now pa west virginia you know I, I to be honest i don't even remember because i i can hardly ever do that because for sure i just checked in through the regulations in pa and uh you're right it's it's the last half of the season they'll let you it's either the last two weeks or the last half of the season they'll let you well two weeks would probably be the half of the season anyways wouldn't it yeah it's the last two weeks so the last two weeks they'll let you go all day trying to remember if West Virginia is that way or not. The only reason I can't remember is, like I said, I just never get a chance to do it. I think, yeah, I think it might be, because we had a guest on from West Virginia, oh, maybe about a month ago, and and that sounds pretty familiar. It sounds somewhat similar to PA, where there is, I think for the first two weeks, a, uh, a time constraint, and then after that, towards the end of the season, they kind of open it up, I think. Yeah, West Virginia and Ohio may be like that. I, I just can't remember for sure. It's been a while. Yeah. We're kind of going down this road, you know, you say you start work at like 8, 
and then you work till early in the morning. And I, I seem to notice, you know, I, I think I watched all of last season or most of last season and then a couple videos from from years past. And it doesn't seem that you're getting in on birds that you roosted the night before. It always seems like I've been back in here in last week or yesterday or whatever. There were birds in here and then you're going in and you're devising a plan once you get into the area and if you do hear goblin or not. I would roost birds more often if I could. I just I just don't get the chance to do it because uh, you know, I, I have to be at work. So I usually try to hunt until twelve o'clock or whatever the cutoff is and get back home and try to get a few hours of sleep before I head into work. So I, I don't hardly ever roost turkeys anymore unless I'm on a little tear where I have a few days off work, you know, and that's the only time I really get a chance to to roost birds. You know, uh, roosting is fun, and it's kind of, I, I would argue, it's kind of one of my main tactics. Um, but there is something really fun and enjoyable about kind of just showing up to a spot and just listening in the morning and seeing where you hear one and heading off in that direction. That could be pretty fun and exciting. And I've I've had some success, for sure, just kind of doing it that way. Uh, and I think that could be a pretty exciting way sometimes because the thing with like at least how I feel with roosting it's almost it's almost like putting all your eggs in one basket you know you you roost a bird you get back to the truck a little bit later than you normally would you're not going to get as much sleep and then you wake up even earlier to sneak in there and then it still might not work out you know so yeah but you know it definitely it puts the odds in your favor to start out in the morning. You know, you you know where you're going to start out, you know, and you're going to be in birds for the most part if if you get them roosted. For sure. So it definitely puts the odds in your favor for sure. Mm-hmm. I just don't get a chance to do it much because of work. So now when you, you, you're getting into the areas that you think you've, you've heard birds in the past or whatever, and I noticed through your videos that, you know, birds start gobbling, and most people, when they start hearing that, they're gone and they're running like a flash. That's me to get as close <laughs> to get as close as they can. But I, it seems you guys lay back a little bit and um, just kind of feel the situation out. And, I, and it seems like you sometimes I've I've watched where you've laid back quite a bit, trying to trying to come up with a what process are you going through? You know, when you do, do decide you're going to go, with, is are you trying to find the closest bird? Or are you listening? You know, for a bird off the side like a satellite, what what are you trying to, what are your main goals, I guess, when, when you're sitting there and the birds start gobbling? Yeah, I, I try to slow myself down in those situations. I mean, if I'm not right up on them, you know, if, if they're off a little ways, I try to kind of assess the situation and read the turkey and have him at least give me an idea what his situation is, whether he's got hens with him or, you know, if he's gobbling pretty much, you know, you, you can, you can kind of guess that maybe he's by himself and, you know, you just kind of got to read that situation and then move in. And sometimes I'll even hold back and uh, let them fly down and, you know, try to try to get an idea of where they're headed if he's got hens with them and try to maybe get up, get out in front of them. So I, you know, it's kind of a fine line there, whether to, to storm in there and get on them before he pitches down or, or hang back and read the situation and kind of figure things out, you know, and 
put yourself in a better position. Sometimes I think it's sometimes I think it might hurt you to, to run in there and get tight to them because it seems like a lot of times when I do that, as soon as I get set up, you know, and start calling to the bird, he flies down and maybe he's got hens with him and you know they're heading the opposite direction. Then I have to you have to kind of wait till they get out of there and give them time so you don't spook them and then you know whether you're going to follow them or maybe try to swing around and loop out in front of them. I kind of take the same approach that you do. I've, I guess I've, when I was younger, I would, I would be, I'd be racing in trying to get as close as I can. And I found, you know, a lot of times I was spooking birds on the way to the one that was gobbling or in generally, by the time I get to them, they're on the ground anyways. And I'm probably not in the best position in the world. So, um, I, I, I try to lean lay back a little bit now. Seems seems to work a little better for me. Yeah, that's probably the hardest part to learn about turkey hunting for anybody. I know, especially for me, it was in my early years, just being patient, you know. And that goes for, you know, just just everything in general that deals with turkey hunting. Patience is it's it's tough. Yeah, let's talk let's talk a little bit about patience, man. Um, because you're right. I think that's something that uh, doesn't get talked about enough is patience with turkey hunting and then breaking down what that patience looks like. I know for me, um, kind of being a, kind of the whole little shtick of this podcast is I'm the younger, greener turkey hunter and Paul's uh, been hunting turkeys uh, about as long as I've been alive. But I know for me, once I did slow down, and give the situation a little bit of time to unfold, then I started to notice that things kind of started to happen for me. So when you're kind of talking about patience, I guess, um, what does that kind of look like, I guess? Is it is it sitting in, and I watch your videos, I know it's not necessarily the case. I'm going to try in real quick here. I mean, you know, the patience gets brought up a lot, and I think... A lot of newer, inexperienced turkey hunters, they hear the word patience and they think that means go sit by a tree and sit there for four hours and call once every, lightly once every 30 minutes or whatever. And when you get more experience, I think it it comes into your playbook where you start using it as a tool. You're not, you know, I got to go out and be patient and sit by this tree because that's what I hear it kills turkeys it becomes more of a tool of knowing when to be patient and when to be quiet when to move when not to move and stuff like that yeah yeah I definitely agree with that mm-hmm. yeah patience is uh it's a big tool uh I mean you we could probably sit and talk about this for an hour yeah we could talk about it all for all day long if we had yeah before you even make a call especially like i that's that's one thing i find myself doing a lot is i try to stay patient like if i have a bird located whether i do it with a locator call or just hear him gobble on his own you know i try to hold off calling to that turkey until i'm in a good position you know i don't want to give myself away too soon so if he's gobbling on his own you know i'll I won't call to him until I get 
right up to where I want to, you know, where, where I want to be. And, uh, then I'll go ahead and give my position away and start a conversation with him. But yeah, that's something that's, uh, not talked about a lot. Probably it, patience is a big thing and I don't think you can really buy it. <laughs> no. Right. On the, on the patience and the blind calling, I mean, watching the videos and it may just be the fact that, that it's camera, but it, it doesn't seem like you're doing a lot of blind calling, you know, running gun, you'll, you'll, you'll move a lot. But then when you, when you call, it's like, you're already in a place where you think you'll be able to kill a bird from blind calling or whatever. And, um, and then you'll go through a sequence or whatever in it. And I know Andre wants to get to this point here where um, I think Andre labeled it as like pick a, pick a spot calling. I think you got that term from Denny Galvis or whatever. Yeah. It seems like you'll use that a lot where you'll, you'll leave all your gear back. I don't even see you carrying a gun and you'll walk 25 yards, 30 yards away, and then you'll do a sequence and then you get a couple of responses and then you quick come back to where, to where all your stuff is. Could you go through that a little bit and why you're doing it? And Yeah. Like I said, that's, that's, uh, that's something I picked up a long time ago from just watching Denny Galvis's videos. And he was, he was a big influence on me coming up as a turkey hunter. I looked up to him probably more than anybody out there. Uh, but it's something that he came up with just from dealing with turkeys with a camera. And, uh, you know, it can come in handy for even guys that are just out there hunting with a shotgun. The thing about it is you have, here we go again, the word patience. You have to have patience to let it all work out. But uh, in a nutshell, let's say you have a bird goblin, whether you located him, like I said, with a crow call or a turkey call or whatever, whether he gobbles on his own, you know where there's a turkey at and you move in on him. Let's say you didn't call to him yet. You move in on him. He's gobbling on his own. It allows you to get to a position where you think this would be a good setup where you could call him in, you know, cause that's a, that's a big part of calling a turkey in is that setup. You know, that's probably the, the biggest factor in all this, but Let's say you pick a spot where you want him to show up, you know, when you're hunting in the mountains or hill country or, you know, any kind of terrain, a lot of times those turkeys, they're so keen on picking up where that sound is coming from. And it's like most of the time, it, in my experience, they will come straight to that calling with that sort of that sound you know right where that sound is coming from and they can pinpoint that to within feet i swear but anyways uh you can take advantage of that by using this pick a spot calling which denny calls it by picking the spot where they where you think they're going to show up so you can go out there where you want him to show up stand there and call to him and you know you still kind of got to read the situation see how he's responding and uh you know, go from there, but you could start a conversation with him. And once you, once you get the feeling that he's committed and starting to come, that's when you just shut it down and then get back, you know, whether it's 25, 30 yards, or sometimes I've done it where I'm over a hundred yards, just 
to get good footage of them, you know, but you can, if everything works out right, you can, you can control where he'll, he's going to show up. And then once he gets to that point, you can work him in from there. But yeah, it's just a technique where he, then he came up with this working with a camera and trying to control where that turkey's going to show up and, and lead that turkey into you and kind of take advantage of their ability to pinpoint the sound of that call. So go, to go a little further, to go a little further on it. I mean, a couple of the videos I, I watched, you know, you did the pick a spot and it seemed the turkey skirted just, you know, if you were sitting in that spot, the bird would be in gun range, but seeing as you did the pick a spot, it kind of skirted where it would be shootable from the spot, but where you were sitting, it was just out of range. So do you, do you think it would be a tactic if you didn't have the camera that you'd use as much? Oh, or yeah. Would you just yeah. you use it in certain situations, say like you got, you know, real thick cover and you got the one open spot and you go to the open spot where you got a nice shooting lane and or do you, you think you use it you know, in situations like that, or you think you just use it in general? Yeah, I, I use it a lot, but in a, in a situation like that, where you're in a thicker area and you have a nice little opening out here where you would want him to show up, I would definitely, you try to use it there. Now, like you said, if he, if he's not comfortable coming to that opening and maybe he little, uh, maybe he skirts that area just a little bit, you know, no, normally this is where the patience comes in. If you're, you know, if you're patient and you've you got to sit there and let him work to that area where you called from. And normally what, what he'll do is he'll show up what, you know, he, he may get 50 yards from that spot. And if you've been quiet for 10, 15 minutes or maybe a half hour, you know, a lot of times he's going to, he's going to throw out a gobble at some point there searching for that hen. You know, he knows he's close to where she was. So he'll, a lot of times he'll, he'll gobble and let you know where he's at. And then, you know, if he's, if he is skirting that little open spot, like you're saying, that's when you can call, you can eventually call from where you're set up at and work him in from there. Hopefully, you know, nine times out of 10, well, I shouldn't say nine times out of 10, but you know, you know how turkeys are. You hopefully right. he'll come into that opening, you know, I, I use it a lot. I will say I I use that technique a lot, especially with a camera. And even if I would be out just hunting without a camera, I definitely I would use it a lot. Yeah, I first kind of started experimenting with that technique. Um, I want to say maybe two seasons ago. It was amazing to kind of see it, to see it happen, to see it work. You know, and. Um, you know, what I didn't think of doing is what the way I was mainly utilizing that technique is when it came to to blind calling, you know, uh, like you, me and Paul will uh, will hunt the surrounding states, you know, so we're in Minnesota. So we'll go to Wisconsin. Um, I'll do Iowa. Paul will go to Missouri. Uh, I'll go to South Dakota. We'll kind of hit the surrounding states. But sometimes, you know, I'd show up at a state mid-morning or in the afternoon and maybe at that point in time I didn't know where there were any birds so I just kind of pick a bench on a ridge I'd go out about you know 30-35 yards I do a little sequence there and then I'd run back to my spot and I would just camp out right there 
And it was it was awesome to actually see the birds show up and walk straight to that area that I was calling from. And it worked out in the sense of I was getting set up so it would only be about 30, 35 yards away from me, perfect for a shot opportunity. Um, but what I didn't do was try to take that step a little bit further. And once they get to that location, from what you're saying, it sounds like you can sweeten that up a little bit more and maybe do a little bit of calling to pull them a little bit closer to maybe where you would want them to be. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to say with that. Like in that situation with Paul mm-hmm. talking about the, uh, you know, like a a thicker area and you have an opening out there in front of you, if he would come out and stay back from that opening instead of coming into it, you know, once, see, now I'm talking about areas with some terrain too. I, I haven't really messed with this a whole lot in flat ground. I always have in mind where a turkey's down, down off of a ridge somewhere. You know, that's, that's always my, it's always usually what I run into is turkeys that are, you know, if I'm, if I'm trying to lead them up onto a ridge top where I can get good video of them, I've always got that in my head where a turkey is down from me. So if I am misleading anybody that's hunting flatter ground, you know, this could still be used in flat ground. I would imagine it could. I've used it on flat ground. Yeah, once once he's close to that opening and he, you're not seeing him, and it, you know if he makes you aware of his presence by gobbling or you hear him drumming or whatever, you know. So I say, I mean, you never know what a turkey's going to do, but once he gobbles and lets you know where he's at, and he's close to that opening that you wanted him to come into, hopefully you can just give him a little bit of soft talk or whatever and lead him out to it but it doesn't always work out you know it's i mean it's a turkey (laughs) yeah do you uh ever do any uh just blind calling i do some but i'm be honest i'm not the most see that's the kind of situation where i i want to be more patient but and i don't I, i just don't have the patience for that uh but the older i get the more i'm trying to make myself do that and sit down and do some more blind calling and just sit for an hour. You know, normally I would say at this point, most of the time when I do a little blind calling, I may give them, I may sit down and call if I'm tired just from working all night or whatever, but it's hard for me to sit there for more than 45 minutes. If I don't hear a turkey gobble, I just feel like there's enough area where I hunt that I can I can get up and start covering ground and find one somewhere, you know, that that wants to play. So if I sit for that long and I don't hear turkeys gobble or anything like that, I'm usually getting too tired where I got to force myself to get up and walk or I'm going to be, I'm not going to be in the right frame of mind to begin with. I'm going to be fighting, trying not to fall asleep. It's really difficult. Yeah. Um, so I think if I remember correctly, and from what I've seen, you have done some competition calling. Are you still doing competitive calling? I do a little, probably not as much as I did 10 years ago, but yeah, I I still do some. I will say this, this editing, everything with these videos takes up a lot of my time and I don't put as much into it as I did back then, but I I do do it some. I was, I was actually uh, this past year, 
that was the first time I went to Grand Nationals since I think 2018. So I started putting these videos on YouTube in 2000 with the 2018 turkey season. So it's it's taken a lot of my time, but yeah, I still do it some. Yeah, I saw that on your channel. It was a 2018 you were over at Grand Nationals. How does that feel, man? Just kind of being on that stage and like competing with like the best there is, man. How does how does that feel? Is it intimidating? I imagine it is. It is. It's nerve-wracking. I mean, I've done it for a long time, but I still get still get pretty nervous. But it it is. It's an honor just to be on stage with some of those guys. I mean, some of those guys live for that. I mean, they literally practice for hours each day, you know, and they put a lot into it and it, it, it is, it's, it's a special place up on that stage. I will say that just to be there. Yeah. That's, it's on my list to, uh, head out to that convention at some point in time. Um, it's a little bit hard kind of to manage that because I, I kind of try to save my time off for turkey season. Um, but I know that's just a few days and maybe if not this year, maybe next year I'll be able to swing that. Um, do you make your own calls? I know you're predominantly a mouth call guy. I was curious if you make your own or is there a, a certain person that you like to use their calls? Yeah, I, I do. I've been building my own calls probably since the early nineties. Uh, but I'll be honest with you here the last, uh, four or five years, I haven't done much of it. Yeah. Then again, it goes back to this time thing. I don't have a whole lot of time to build calls, but at the same time, I've, I've spent enough time around turkeys. I don't know if you've seen on the channel, but I'd like to go in there and get underneath turkeys when they're roosted, you know, and get as tight as I can and just record them talking. Just just being able to spend time with birds like that and hear them talking, you know, I've learned a lot over the last 15 years doing that. And uh, I'll be honest, the calls that I've built, I I, I just don't like <laughs> They're, they don't sound, how can I say this? I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I've done good in calling contests using my own calls. You know, I've, I've won a lot of contests and placed and done all that. But the last five years or so, I've been running Denny Galvis's calls. And I will say that they're, I have never sounded more like a real turkey than I have running his calls. Right. I think what you were getting at was the um, the standard diaphragms that most people use. They don't just ha they don't quite have the resonant resonation that that you hear in a regular turkey. Right. I, I, I'm a firm believer that as soon as you take a scissor and cut that top reed, I feel like I feel like the majority of us that are doing this. Just to be honest, I feel like. We're doing it the wrong way. Like as soon as you cut that reed, yeah, you're putting that, like Denny says, that tinny sound to it. It's uh, it's a dead giveaway to me. I, I when I hear a real turkey and I hear some of the best callers in the country, you know, you you just hear that top reed flapping, and uh, and that's one thing about Denny's calls that I like. And I've, like I said, I've never. I've never felt like I sounded as real as I do with his calls. So you'd, you'd be making that comparison to like a standard Yelp then? 
you know, not so much the soft stuff with the clucks and the purrs. Mostly, yeah. Like when you get, especially when you get louder with your yelping, yeah, especially then you can you can really hear that that reed flapping. Yeah, I have a uh, I have a few of Denny's calls. Um, those things are hard to use, man. I have I've tried and experimented with it. Uh, I was having a hard time with it, and I'm I'm definitely open to giving it a shot, you know, because I do hear that sound is so authentic. And I think a little bit going back to what you were saying about about the cuts that we do on some of these diaphragm calls, I think a little bit of that is we've trained ourselves to try to replicate the human imitation versus trying to replicate the actual turkey. Because like you were saying uh, over at Grand Nationals, a guy will hear these guys and go, okay, so that's the good sound. That's that's what I have to replicate. That's what I have to try to go for. Um, versus like like you were saying, listening to actual uh, turkeys kind of doing it. And I know sometimes when you're getting out into the woods, it sounds like you'll just play audio of turkeys talking. And I think is that to keep that some of that stuff fresh in your mind? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean... I don't feel like you can listen to them enough. Uh, I mean, it's just like a song. Uh, you know, you might hear a song that you like, and then five days later, you kind of forget how it goes. Yeah. You know, the same with turkeys. I feel like I, the more you can get them in your ears, the better. I, I feel like I feel like most of those judges in all these contests, it's a it, it'd be a good tool for them. I don't know how much they listen to them, but that is something. That is, that should be the the most important part of all this stuff is listening and comparing your calling to real turkeys. Yeah, for sure. Right. With with the cuts too, I think you know why a lot of people get into it. I think the cuts they're geared towards less experienced callers, and I think it for some reason it it gives them an idea that it's going to help them with their breakover from the high to the low. I think I think where that's where a lot of it comes from. Yeah, you're putting that kind of that human element into it, though. You know, I I don't know where that ever started. You know, you you hear guys say that all the time, where you want to get that nice clean breakover in your Yelp. But there's, I can I have so many turkeys on my computer here. I can I can have you listen to countless numbers of hens that they don't have that rollover yelp that break in their yelp they're just straight out just resonant and raspy and you know right it may be just the case that that's just the type of call she's using at the time where it's not like she doesn't break her yelps over at all she just got that certain time that you recorded her she wasn't doing it right yeah i mean turkeys they have a freaking vast vocabulary and i mean their their voices break just like ours do you know uh a lot of times when they do break like that they're really putting something into it you know they're really calling loud a lot of times but yeah i don't know that all i can tell you is i've never felt like i sounded more like a real bird than i have these past few years with denny's calls but they are tricky you know if you've if you've come up your whole life running a cut call a certain way, it's of course it's going to be hard to transition into using his calls where you don't run them the same. But 
uh, I feel like if I could go back in time and day one, the first time I ever put a mouth call in, in my mouth, if I would have put one of his calls in my mouth and learned the way that he runs them, you know, I feel like I could, uh, I wouldn't have such a learning curve first off. And I don't think a lot of people would, if, if they would just learn to call with their diaphragm, you know, bring everything up from down within. And, uh, that's probably the biggest hurdle with everybody trying to learn to run his calls because they've come up running everybody else's calls differently. But right. I think, I think getting it to come up from your diaphragm, it gives you a more stable airflow and it gives you a little more control, gives you a better yeah. tone. Which of his do you use? Is it the double read, triple? I like his master's choice is a two and a half read call. And I'll, I often find myself using his uh, four read call, which he calls the, uh, what's he called? Forerunner. It's called the Forerunner. So I use his two and a half read and his four read calls. So that four, that four read is, is there cuts in it or is it just a standard four reads? And I don't know what it is, but man, those calls, they have a snap, they have a resonance, just a real turkey sound. And, I, I really like the way I sound run his calls. I can tell you that. So they, so you don't use those calls like you would a, a regular diaphragm call. Um, do you got any tips, I guess, for, for, you know, I, I know at least for me, maybe I'll, I'll give those things a, another try. I still have them, but I, I guess I was trying to kind of use them how you would traditionally with the tongue pressure and, and moving my tongue around to manipulate. That's probably the biggest biggest hurdle guys have with them is uh, just, you know, like I said, falling back on the way they've always called with other calls. But, yeah, you just want to get that call to seat in the roof of your mouth. And I don't know how to explain this, but the best way for me to get myself in the mindset and get myself where I need to start is like you would key key, you know, you want to tighten your throat up almost like you're saying the word key, you know, you just want to tighten your throat up. And once you, you might have to play with the call a little bit and find that high whistle like that key. But once you can get that key and just blow air, just, you know, and, and kind of control that high note. You want to keep your tongue. You don't want to move your tongue. You don't want to move your mouth. You just want to bring all the air up from your diaphragm. And that, that call will just, it'll go from high to low and just have that resonance in it. And it, it doesn't have that fake tinny sound of that reed flapping. But yeah, you, you don't want to move your mouth. You just want to, you just want to work with that call and kind of just, just key keep for, for a while, you know, and get that call loosened up and kind of get your throat muscles to to loosen up. And then once you can tighten your throat up like that, like, you know, you just, it'll exercise your throat and you'll, you'll pick it up. It just takes a while. Yeah, for sure. I, and I think that's, that's a good tip because that's something for me to work at basically mess with that thing until I get that key sound. And then that lets me know it's like, okay, now you're kind of getting in the ballpark of how this thing works. And then I could just kind of adjust, you know, from there. So that's good to know. 
And the only thing I can compare that to is like, you know, if you're, if you're going from that high key, that whistle using his calls with the back of your throat, it's comparable to, how can I say this? Uh, once you tighten your throat up like that and you're whistling, all you have to do is loosen your throat up a little bit and, and not, not be so tight in the back of your throat. And it'll kind of get that mid tone, you know, it'll go like it would start to drop, you know? And, uh, it's the only thing I could compare that to is when you are running your average cut call, that's when it's comparable to you opening your mouth, like dropping your jaw. But it, like I said, it's it, everything's done with your throat and not so moving the mouth. You're you're changing the tone with air pressure and not tongue pressure. Right. Your that tongue is barely. Yeah, you, know, you could talk to him, but I think he would say his tongue doesn't even move. I feel like that's the biggest issue with me. Like I feel like I still still want to move my tongue just a little bit. It's it's hard to control. But yeah, everything comes from your diaphragm in the back of your throat. And when you loosen your throat up just a little bit, that'll drop that. It'll go from high to low, you know, and it just comes with a lot of practice. But I feel like I'm still, you know, trying to pick it up. I'm practicing while we're sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I want to talk about, man, and this is the cool thing about your videos is, you know, like you were saying earlier, it's not like you're going to take a week's worth of hunting and compress that down to 35 minutes and you got like the kill shot in there. You know, you'll post your videos, whether you were able to get on a bird that day or not. And so, and I think that's kind of like realistic for most guys, you know, most guys aren't going to go out there and kill a bird every day or every few days or whatever. Um, how do you keep that, that positive attitude when all this is going on? You know, when maybe you're not hearing birds, you're not able to get on birds or you've missed a bird. How do you, how do you kind of keep that positive attitude to just kind of keep on trucking along and not letting any of that stuff kind of mess with you? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I know it's it's hard to do, especially when you've gone days or sometimes a week without even hearing one, you know. Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't know. It's I've just always been that type of person where I try to see the positive in everything, you know. And to me, it's like, I don't know, each step you take is one step closer to, to your goal or whatever you're trying to achieve, you know, whether it's in turkey hunting or life or whatever, but I don't know. I've just always been that kind of person where I'm trying to see the positive and everything and try to keep right. out all those negative thoughts. But it, like you said, it's, it's sometimes hard to do. I, I think that, um, real serious turkey hunters, I think, um, it's a quality, that we have, we have, we're, we're ever the optimist. It's always going to be that next ridge or that next field or the next stop. There's always going to be, you know, one other place to go. I think we're always, you know, the guys that are really into it, we're always optimistic that way. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. It's just something that's always been in me and I've 
just kind of been driven to keep going, you know, and don't give up. Right. Uh, I can say is yeah. just, you know, just don't quit. I guess what I was getting at, it's, I think it's a personality trait for guys that are really good. I think it's, they just can't help themselves. It's who they are. Definitely doesn't hurt. Yeah, I know. I know for me, man, um, when I fumble something real bad with the birds, that's when it kind of messes with me. You know, that's, I know last year I arrived in Iowa. I got lazy, man. And there was a certain ridge I was going to get to. Instead of taking my time, being careful, I just kind of skirted a field edge and I busted a flock, man, like out of the field. And after that, man, oh, I felt like such a fool, man. All these birds, they all saw me, you know, and I was like, well, that just ruined my opportunity right there. I texted Paul and I'm like, I'm going home, you know, (laughs) I didn't go home. But man, I was like so like bummed out, man. And for me, I guess in this like early stage of me kind of doing it, I I still do keep at it, but I feel like an idiot when I kind of do stuff like that cuz uh I know there's you're good at making you feel like an idiot. I I mean, I'd be the first to tell you that. But you just, you know, after doing it so long, you just you realize that if you just keep going don't give up. You're you're gonna find another one. You just gotta keep at. Yeah, right. Get, getting back to the to the calling and whatnot. You know, I notice you seem to be a fairly aggressive caller. I mean, even even with calls that you know people would think as being soft calls with your clucks and purrs, you seem you seem to you know. So when you you pick a spot and you're 30 yards away from the camera, you're, you're doing some clucks and purrs and it seems like you're really getting into it and you're really putting them out there. And where most guys, you know, they figure a cluck and purr is, is that what I'm seeing? Or is that just because of the fact that maybe you got a camera or a microphone on you or are you actually calling? That microphone does pick up sounds really good at a distance, but I mean, I, I try to put a lot of feeling into my calling. Just looking at your body, it looks like you're, you're getting into it pretty good. Well, that's that's another thing, you know, when you when you start running these calls from your diaphragm. I've had a lot of people tell me that even even when I'm on stage calling, I do you can really tell that I'm bringing everything from way down low, you know, using my diaphragm, but I I do I I put a lot into my calling. I guess you are talking about you're talking about volume wise or right. The clucks and the purrs and whatever they, you know, yeah, they seem I, to be I, a little aggressive, a little louder than. That's just probably my microphone picking up so well. I, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not the best cluck and purr guy on, on the stage. I, that's my biggest, it's my hardest call. I, I've struggled to purr for years and it, I do struggle with the volume on my purring, but. I don't know if that's what you're talking about. Well, I mean, the the reason I'm kind of getting into this, I mean, you had an episode where I was watching, um, what would it be, the turkey hunting Appalachian, the eight-day grind, you were hunting with a a young lady, and you had a bunch of jakes come in, and I think you had one long beard with them, and she couldn't get a shot at it, but the jakes were constantly the cluck and the purr, pretty loud and pretty aggressive, and that sort of reminded me of, you know, a couple times when I've had Jake's come in on me like that. 
Yeah, those Jake's, that was more like of a, that was more of nervous, like a, what do you call it? I wouldn't call that a cluck and purr they were doing. I would call that like a putt purr. They were getting nervous and they knew something was up, you know? They, yeah, they, I, were, they were looking and trying to figure out why, why they yeah. weren't seeing the hen. Right. They were nervous. They were about to get out of there. And I don't, I don't specifically remember what, how much calling I did right there, but I, I do kind of remember just trying to jump in there on top of them and kind of calm them down a little bit. Cause that, Longbeard was out in front of us just out of range and I was trying to get her lined up and get a shot at him without them boogering out of there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Paul, you were going to say something? I guess the one question I got, you know, seeing you, you say it mountains are, are you, you know, from the areas you hunt, is there a drastic elevation change, you know, from some areas to hunt compared, you know, like, 10,000 feet or an 8,000, 5,000 feet, or is it all, you know, pretty general? Yeah, I would say, you know, we're, we're, the mountains around here are not quite as high as some of the stuff in other places, you know, like in Virginia and places like that. I know there, there's places in Virginia and West Virginia that are probably six, 8,000 feet in elevation. We're on average around here, I would say we're probably only around, 2,000, 2,500 feet, right. but um, for the ceiling, I say most of the places I hunt, you know, it's, it's a little rugged, but it's not like crazy rugged. Like some of the mountains in Virginia and West Virginia, I, I'd say Florida ceiling on average is probably, you might be climbing four to five hundred, hundred feet in, in most situations, but there are places that I'll go that depending on where I access it from, you know, I, there's places I could park in the bottom and go clear to the top and it's, you know, a thousand, 1200 feet plus. Right. I yeah. guess the reason, the reason I'm asking is, is as far as that, not for like a single day hunt, it would be like through the season. You know, you hear a lot of times, you know, when you're getting to some mountainous terrain where Guys will say the turkeys at the bottom will start gobbling like a week or two before the turkeys at the top. Is that something you're seeing? And is it something you take into account where you'll start the season off in lower elevations and then work your way up as the, you know, the gobbling decreases in the lower elevations and the possibly still be gobbling on top? Yeah, I, I don't really see that much here. I would say if you go down south and hunt, you would see it more because of the season being so early you know our seasons around here like in pennsylvania ohio or west virginia we don't we don't really start up that early around here most of the time when our season starts a lot of the hens are either nesting or you know being bred at the time so i would say uh yeah early earlier in the season like down south you would run into that a lot more just because of the birds being blocked up early and you know the season being so early the you know it's still like winter sometimes up top that early in the season yeah for sure when when's your season start out there we start in the middle of april we're april 13th right for yeah. for, for for 2024 it'll be april 13th if i can help it usually though i i make a trip down south last year was mississippi for the long for the longest time i was heading to georgia for, 
and hanging out there for a week, two weeks, maybe even three weeks. Actually, actually had my mom call when I was, I don't know, I was mid early twenties or whatever. She told me I, I had to come home cause I was gone too long and I had to be home for Easter. <laughs> she actually, I got back from hunting one day and there was a note on my tent saying your mom's looking for you. Call the police or call your mom. And it was the police that left the note because she was calling because I called the day before and they didn't answer. So then I called my brother and talked to my brother and let him know everything was cool and everything. But, but he didn't call my mom to let her know that I had called. Yeah. So she was calling the police and whatever. And they come hung a, hung a, hung a note on my, on my tent telling me to call my mom. It's nice to get an early start like that and go down south. I'd, at some point here, I'd like to do it again myself if I can get some time off of work. We, I think it was 2019. I was down there in Alabama. I loved it. We didn't we didn't have any luck down there, but we got on some turkeys and it was a heck of a lot of fun. I'd really like to get back down there and try that again sometime. It's it's nice being able to get an early start like that. Right, hunting in the end of March or whatever instead of waiting. I mean, your your season there doesn't start until May, does it? Yeah, Pennsylvania is usually the first weekend in May, last weekend in April, somewhere right in there. So right, it, it's a it's a long wait here. Yeah, I think you posted uh, the Alabama uh, hunt, right? I think yeah, that was a good one, man. I, I enjoyed watching those videos. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I loved it down there. That's my kind of hunting. Those those mountains like that, those steep rolling hills and ponderosa pines and hardwood bottoms and stuff. It it was a lot of fun. It was a challenge. Those those birds didn't talk a whole lot and there was a lot of pressure, but it was it was a blast. Awesome. All right, dude. Well, I think we're gonna go ahead and let you go, man. No problem, Andre. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, nice to meet you, Chad. Yeah, you too, Paul. For sure. Well, thanks again, right, guys, we'll see for having you. me on. Yeah, take it easy, Chad. Thank you for listening to the After Roos Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, or whatever it is we're supposed to do. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Off the Roos Calls and TikTok at Off the Roos Pod. Stay tuned for future episodes where we'll do our best to keep you informed try to preserve the heritage that surrounds the elusive and sometimes mystical animal that is the wild turkey.